Welcome back to Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young, and I am bringing back my co-host, who has been not on this podcast for a while, but for no other reason than we haven't had any fresh stuff to really break down, and USC has been very gracious in loading me up with great interviews, but Max Brown is back on the podcast today. Max, how are you? What's up, Ryan? I'm great. Yeah, no, it's good to be back. Good to finally have a reason to... uh chat as uh, as SC is coming back to normal so yeah pumped to be here if we have a season which we're obviously hoping for and if everything stays on track uh, Max and I will get back on a more regular schedule and get into some season preview conversations and debates and and kind of building up to fall camp which as of right now is set to begin on August 7th and that's kind of standard across the country USC is kind of getting back to campus later than most teams they started bringing back players last week just local guys for voluntary workouts, if that goes well. And so far, they've reported only one positive test out of 69 athletes across four different sports who came back. So that's not just football. So, so far, so good. If, if it stays on track, they'll have phase two coming up, the non-local guys, and then phase three with the incoming recruits. As always, everything is tenuous and, and ever-evolving, and it's just going to be monitored and hope everything stays, stays on track. But if it does, we'll be talking a lot more football here with Max in the coming weeks. Today, we have a full show. I have a long interview with USC Special Teams Coordinator Sean Snyder. That was by request. You all asked for him. I got him. Had a great conversation. That'll be on the back end. But we have Max here. I want to cover a few things. I want to talk about... We haven't talked to Max since USC landed a second four-star top 100 quarterback commit in this class with Miller Moss joining Jake Garcia. I want to get his thoughts on that. I want to get his thoughts on what it would be like to be a player going through this pandemic and and returning to campus and being tested every week and all that. But we have to start kind of topically, obviously, sad news for the Trojan community last week. Former USC offensive lineman Max Turk passed away. His family posted the news that he passed away while hiking. And just a, a really tragic loss for USC football, the program, fans, and a family who lost a, a young man in his prime. Our Max, Max Brown, was a teammate with Max Turk for three years. And let's just start with how you've processed this news since it happened, Max. Yeah, it was tough. Like you said, I mean, a guy, obviously a guy gone, uh, any time a guy passes away at 26, gone way too soon. Uh, for me personally, we were good buds in college. We weren't necessarily the uh, like absolute best friends. Uh, Max was roommates with Cody Kessler, a different quarterback. Obviously, the guy I backed up, they were uh, as tight as could be, but uh, we ran in a lot of the same circles. He was a great guy. He actually was my host on my official visit. And naturally, I'm, I'm 25. As, as you kind of get removed from college a little bit, We I wasn't necessarily the, the closest to him in the, in the past couple of years, but I think that connection was always there, being good buds in college, and um, it was devastating. I mean, I, I'm in a couple group chats with some guys, some former teammates, and, it, and it's hard to hear. And uh, I think when you look back at Max in terms of a USC lens, he was an absolute stud. And I went on the radio uh, earlier this week, and or I guess last week it would have been, and talked about Max's legacy. And the, the best point that I can bring up is he was the perfect teammate. I mean, he was a guy that led by led by example. He was part of that 2012 recruiting class, which was the heart of the sanctions, and he was kind of the main stage on the offensive line. Um, and it, it's, just, it's just tough news. I mean, right now you look at kind of, I mean, 
that recruiting class, right? Not to get into the football side of things, it's bigger than than football. But when you look at that recruiting class, you talk about Zach Banner, Chad Wheeler, Jordan Simmons, and Max Turk at the offensive line spot. Those first three guys, they're all in the NFL and still in the NFL, going on year four, year five. But Max is the best of all of them. And I would tell every single one of them that if they were sitting right here. And so you talk about just a special, special player. He, he did a lot for USC right then. And uh, it was tough news. I went to his uh, his service, his, his paddle out this past weekend. There's about 20 of us former teammates. And we were able to celebrate his life. And the vibes were as positive as they could be, given the circumstances. But obviously just a guy that's gone way too soon, uh, a great teammate and friend, and uh, obviously thinking about his family. Very well said. And, and I want to get into that celebration of life. You know, the intent of those things is to make it as positive as can be and, and recall good memories. And, and I'm sure having a lot of former teammates together, you were able to do that. But what was just that moment like? You probably haven't seen these guys in a while and you're coming back for a reason that you would hope is not the reason why you're coming back together. What was that whole experience uh, like if you could expound on it? Yeah, I think, I mean, to start, obviously, it's the. You, you hate that, that those circumstances are what kind of brought you back to your teammates, but, and not to be insensitive, but trying to put that aside as much as you possibly can. I think a lot of those faces, I mean, you're talking about, those are guys that I saw almost every single day in, in many respects for about three, four, two, three, four years. I mean, I hadn't seen Cody Kessler in, in four years, yet I shared uh, a quarterback with, room with him for, for three years and trained with him and was uh, in every stretch line and everything. And so in that regard, it was nice, and I'm very wary of how weird that is to say, but it was sure. uh, it was nice to, I mean, shake his hand, give him a bro hug, check up on him. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, it was cool. Like most of those guys hadn't changed one bit. And like I said, there was 20 of us there. Randall Telfer is another name that uh, SC fans will recognize. He was there, J.R. Tavai, and then a long list of other guys that, uh, that, that that I played with. So it was good to see guys, check up on guys, just because that bond's always there. Even though you may not have been the, the tightest of friends with all these guys, uh, and you might not necessarily uh, call them every week kind of thing, I think that bond's always there because – when, when you go through workouts and, and you go through a season, and especially the years I was at SC, all the, all the shit we went through, excuse my language, <laughs> I think it brings guys close together. And it's, uh, it's good to see guys doing, doing their thing in life, even if it's Cody who's still playing ball or if it's other guys who are, uh, are, are just doing uh, a 9-to-5 job. It was good to see you guys. Yeah. Uh, when, when the news went out, how did you first hear about it and who was the first person you reached out to? I heard about it in a group text. I'm in a group text with some former teammates. Alex Wood, he's my roommate, one of my best buds. He kicked for us back uh, for a couple years back then. And then Jeff Miller, Rob Dooley, some other walk-ons that I was good buds with. We're in a group text. And I think Dion Bailey was actually the first person to, to put something out on social media about it. Right. And so we saw it then. And then kind of over that, that, that couple hours, uh, the news storm hit hard and Really, I was keeping up with it just like we probably all all were in the news headlines, and I saw Coach Helton tweet something out, and I think uh, at, re- at at first you're, you're kind of like, oh, no, there's no way, there's no way, but then you realize, I mean, this isn't, this isn't happening just I mean no one's just tweeting this just to tweet this so it got serious quickly and um yeah like I said reached out to some buddies and and checked in with them and it was tough it it, it was tough and just the fact that I mean a 26 year old professional athlete uh dies of a heart attack is virtually unheard of so that was tough to swallow 
Yeah. Well, well, just lastly on this, you put together a nice tribute on Instagram. Is there one one memory that kind of resonates more than all others and just kind of comes to mind when you think back on Max? I just think there, there – I mean, I wouldn't say there's – I mean, there's a – I'll give a, a serious one and a goofy one. I think the, sure. the serious one is – I mean, Max was just the guy that uh, he had the, the ability to flip a switch. And I mean, he was the guy that was always down for the boys and we'd go have a, a, a beer on the weekends kind of thing. But and he was lighthearted, but then he would flip the switch. And uh, I mean, he really set the tone for that offense for a few years there. And I think as we get far, farther removed and the season of 2015 might not matter as much, I, I think we still look back and um, he really was a tone setter. He was a captain. He was kind of the main stage. And I just I can't stress enough how. There, there was messages on, on social media about how he was a bit of a teddy bear and kind of a, a loving giant a little bit. And sure, there's bits and pieces of that, but don't get it twisted. He was an absolute dog on the field. And I think uh, that, that's something I'll always remember for, 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 uh, in terms of Max Turk, in terms of, a, in terms of a tone setter. And then I think the goofy side is, uh, for me, I came in as a true freshman, and that's when uh, I was making the adjustment to college football and Max was making the adjustment to center. He was a uh, left tackle and left guard uh, the previous years. And I'll never forget, I'll, and when I look back on my playing career, there was not a center uh, that had a sweatier ass than Max Turk. And I remember it was like a thing uh, for Cody and myself. We had to make sure he had a, every quarter he had a new towel um, that was behind his, behind his, uh, on the back end of his waistband. Uh, Max would switch his pants at halftime, which is something that Toa Lobendon, I believe, would do the year after. It was kind of a, a whole system we had with the training and the, and the equipment managers is, hey, make sure Max had a second pair of pants. And it was like, this whole ordeal, and uh, I've never had a, a, a center since then have to do that. And so I, that's something I'll always remember is kind of the growing pains, I guess you can say, of, of uh, being the backup quarterback that had to play a part in Max transitioning to center. That's something I'll never forget. And uh, glad, glad I could be a part of those gro- growing pains because uh, he did a lot of good things at center for us. A very special relationship indeed. Uh, yeah, no well, doubt. Well, well, that was great. I- I didn't really know how to address it because I, I wasn't here at that time, and I, I didn't want to speak out of turn. So I really wanted to wait until I got you on and and let you give your perspective. And I, I think that was was a great way to honor Max and what he meant to this program and to all his teammates. So thank you for for your being candid and, and and sharing all that. Of course, of course. Well, let's get into some lighter fare. And right now in Tennessee. USC QB commit Miller Moss is going through the Elite 11 finals. Did pretty well the first two days by all accounts and uh, is, is making a nice showing. As of now, and there's still a long way to go until National Signing Day, USC has two four-star Rivals 100 quarterbacks committed in Moss and Jake Garcia. Let's just start with the QB mindset, Max. And as a highly ranked recruit coming out, what would you have thought if you had committed to a program and then five months, six months later, whatever it is, another top 100 quarterback committed to the same program? Yeah, it'd be a completely different mindset from where I was at. I mean, I committed in uh, the hardest sanctions and there was no quarterback recruit in the class above me. And that was obviously a huge enticing factor with me coming to SC. So the idea of uh, signing on board with another guy, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. And I mean, we're talking about Cody Kessler five minutes ago, but that's exactly what him and Max Wittick did back in the 2011 class. And you're basically signing on the dotted line knowing that, hey, it's either going to be me or him. Uh, Or, I mean, 
shoot, a younger guy could come in and beat them all out. But basically, it's going to be me or him. And it's a totally different mindset because you get into the the social dynamics. And I'm still buds with Cody and Max to this day. And I've talked to them about that. I mean, it's uh, both those guys were great guys. They were guys that got along with everyone. Uh, but there's that weird, awkward dynamic of like, you're building uh, alliances with certain guys, you know, and, and certain guys get along uh, better with with others. And if we're being uh, truth tellers, I know when Sam Darnold came in with Ricky Town, Sam got along better with a lot of the guys than a lot more guys than Ricky did. And it's a social dynamic, but you better believe that that uh, that translates over onto the football field. And so that leadership and kind of owning a class and being the leader of the class, like there's certainly elements of, uh, of butting heads a little bit, even if the, uh, even if the guys are great dudes and, and, and whatnot. So that part's just awkward. I guess that's the best way to, to put it. But, uh, I think at the end of the day for both Jake and Miller, from what I, uh, from what I can see, they're big SC guys, obviously both being Southern California guys. So they're willing to take that on to say, I'm going to have to compete either way. So, hey, let, let, me, uh, let me compete with the guy that I'm coming in with because if we're both starting at the same time, I'm going to bet on myself. And I think that's a super healthy m- mindset as well because, like I just said, no matter where you're going to go, you're going to have to compete. And so I'm sure that's the, uh, that's the narrative they're telling, telling themselves and more power to them. I know for me, I was glad that I had a bet at the time had a smoother route to, uh, to playing time, but um, I think with the scenario that SC has with Keaton Slovis being so young and if everything goes according to plan, he'll have a similar decision as Sam did three years out of, hey, do I leave early? So for a guy like Miller Moss or Jake Garcia, uh, they're saying, all right, I'm going to come in here, beat the other guy out and have an opportunity to play relatively young uh, at the school of my dreams. So I think uh, it's kind of, you see both sides to it and uh, I respect him for, for uh, taking on the competition head on. Yeah, well, with Miller, I mean, obviously he knew what he was getting into because uh, Jake Garcia had been committed since the fall. And I, I've had several conversations with Miller about about that dynamic, both uh, before his commitment and after. And he's always dismissed it and said that it wasn't going to be a factor. It wasn't a factor. I still wonder if Jake Garcia hadn't committed so early if Miller Moss might have committed earlier, uh, having grown up a, a huge USC fan, being a USC guy, and ultimately making that decision. He says it didn't impact his timeline at all. Uh, but you know, ultimately, he's the one that knew what he was getting into here. Jake Garcia committed back in the fall, and I think Shirley knew that USC was going to be recruiting a second quarterback because they had to. They have, they're going to have one scholarship QB returning in 2021 in Keaton Slovis. Matt Fink is the only other scholarship QB on the roster now. Obviously, he's in his last year. So it shouldn't have been a surprise to Jake Garcia that they would land another quarterback. They had to land another quarterback. But, you know, it's it's rare to get two top 100 national prospects, two top 10 QB prospects in the same class to go to the same school. And I have not been able to talk to Jake Garcia since Miller Moss's commitment. I know he's talked to another outlet and, and he said all the right things and that he, he wants to help build this class together with Miller and, and compete. I also know that Miami is coming very hard after him still and I think has maybe even amplified their pursuit since the Miller Moss decision trying to perhaps leverage that. So it, it, it bears watching the rest of this way. I mentioned that Miller Moss is at the Elite 11 Finals this week. Jake Garcia is not, and I don't know what 
went into their evaluation process or how that all came to be. I definitely think Jake Garcia is is on par with all those guys out there and, and would have been in, in my group for the Elite 11. So I can't speak to why he's not out there. But, but Max, what you can speak to, your QBI and what you've seen of both these guys. I know you've watched tape of both Miller Moss and Jake Garcia. How would you compare and contrast them? Yeah, I think uh, to start, no, neither of them jump out to me as being noticeably better than the other. And uh, the film I watched, uh, I do some work for a service called Game Time, and we were uh, we were we were talking, we were kind of comparing and contrasting, like you said, there there are different footages. And so I watched Jake Garcia's sophomore film, and obviously there could be a big jump between sophomore and junior year. Uh, but what I'm seeing is both those guys are, are very consistent. Uh, they throw a very catchable ball, and I know that's sometimes uh, an overused term, but what do I mean by that is Miller throws a tight spiral. I mean, it's consistent. Jake's a very similar way, and I think uh, when I turn on the film, neither of them blow me away with their arm strength, which is what uh, you might have seen with other quarterbacks as it, like a Matt Barkley, a Max Wittick, or something like that that had had stronger arms coming out of high school. I don't put Miller or Jake in either of that, of that category. The, when I turned on Miller, the comparison that I see right away, if you're trying to do a USC comparison, is a Cody Kessler, um, which I know for some SC fans, uh, they want to hear the next Sam Darnold, right? They want to see the, hear the next Keaton Slovis, that kind of thing. But I see more of Cody Kessler, and uh, that's not a knock because Cody had a bunch of, uh, of records, and Cody was as consistent of any quarterback I had ever played with. But that's kind of exactly my point with a guy like Miller is uh, he reminds me of a guy that's just not going to make the catastrophic mistake. He's always going to throw the ball on time. He's always going to throw an accurate ball. I mean, he's athletic enough to do what you need to do in the pocket, but by no means are either of these guys kind of blow you away dual threat type guys like I mean, Sam Sam wasn't necessarily a blow-you-away dual-threat guy, but he definitely had a lot more uh, in his bag in that regard. So I don't put those guys in that category. And I think uh, walking away from breaking down both Miller and Jake, I- I'm thinking, hey, this is going to be a, a-, a big-time competition. Uh, and no one guy sticks out, out to me. And I think the difference could very well be who translates faster to the college football ranks. Because like you said – they're only going to have one scholarship quarterback this time next year. One of those guys, uh, unless they bring in someone else, could very well be the backup quarterback. And so the the leg up is going to be, all right, who can adjust to college ball the fastest? And I think that's probably why a guy like Miller Moss uh, does try to make the, the transfer to modern day to say, hey, I need to speed up my clock. I need to get used to a lot of these things. I need to get used to a higher or higher pace game and so I definitely think that plays a role into it and I think at the end of the day it's going to be uh it's going to be a good competition because not uh neither one of them jumps out at me with uh with a leg up yeah if the commitments hold and they both signs can be a great competition then it's gonna be a really fun storyline the track and and I totally agree with you and, and I know that some people listening probably feel it's a cop-out I've been asked multiple times about my thoughts between the two and I have the exact same conclusion you do I would not feel confident putting my eggs in one basket or the other i i, I really wouldn't i, I just I can't, I can't say for sure that i think that miller moss is gonna beat out jake garcia or vice versa yeah I, to, your, to your point right there uh about uh like miller's commitment schedule and whatnot and i, I know he says i think we're in the same boat here he'll tell you that it had no factor and that the other quarterback was not a factor at all I'm calling baloney on that. Like, I mean, uh, having lived it and having Lane Kiffin look me in the eye and say, all right, Max, we're offering two guys. First guy to take it gets the gets the quarterback scholarship. You better believe there's elements of guys trying to reserve their spot 
in the USC recruiting class, I guess you could say. And so for a guy like Jake Garcia being the hometown guy, he says, all right, I'll sign on the dotted line. And then still, like you said, maybe shopping, shopping around at Miami. And oh, by the way, uh, so much can happen in the next five months with USC. Like we have no idea what's going to go down with coaching and the season and whatnot. And then likewise with Miller Moss, he's saying, all right, I, I sorted through all my options. I got the offers that I, I, uh, I got the offers that I'm going to get. All right, what's the best lay of the land? And now he signs on SC and it puts pressure on Jake Garcia, right? He's saying, all right, do I really want to be a, a two quarterback system? What, what's going to go on there? And I think, like I said, I mean, in the event that Jake were to jump ship or SC does have a, a great year, Miller's in a great scenario. And so I think the idea that he, uh, Jake's decision had no timing on Miller, I think that's, uh, I'm not buying that one bit. Because if you if you tell me there there was not a quarterback signed up for SC, I'd be willing to bet the mortgage on that, on uh, Miller, Miller Moss signing up about a few months, if not a half year earlier than uh, than he already did. Yeah, I, I, from the moment that Miller Moss got offered by USC last summer and I talked to him, I could tell how excited he was about the prospect of playing for the, the program that he grew up rooting for. And so I, I, de- I definitely think that if, uh, if Jake Garcia hadn't pounced first, that it might have been the other way around. But, you know, whatever it is, if, if they both hold, it doesn't matter. Certainly USC fans, after the Bryce Young experience, will never assume anything until it's, it's done uh, regarding QBs. But getting back to the comparison, and I've addressed this on the message board a few times when I've been asked, and it's, it's based on limited exposure. I, I want to see more, these guys more this fall in games, so my evaluation might change. But it goes a lot to what you said, overlaps with your commentary. Miller Moss, to me, is just steady, disciplined, consistent. I think that his accuracy is a strength. He plays with great poise and confidence. And you have, watching him, you have confidence the ball is going to get to where it's supposed to be. But Jake Garcia, I, I think he has a little more arm talent, just from a raw arm talent sense. I think he can maybe make a few more bigger plays. I've also seen the ball not come out as consistently from his hands. And that's just watching, boy, I mean, I went to one game last fall with Narbonne where he was playing. I've seen him in camps. Again, I need to see more. I don't want either of those evaluations to be like hard and fast conclusions on my part because I want to see more. And really, the offense that Jake Garcia played in last year at Narbonne was really hard to draw any conclusions from. They basically just – the game I went to was 80% screen passes one way or the other and then a couple deep shots. And there really wasn't much nuance or complexity to it. Uh, there was very minimal in the intermediate game period. So I didn't come away feeling like I had a true sense for Jake Garcia even after watching him. He transfers to La Habra, where he'll play this season. I'm very excited to see what he does in that offense. And like you said, Miller Moss transferring to Mar Day from Bishop Alamany. Very excited to see what he does on that stage. And I think that we'll have a much better sense for those two guys after this fall. And hopefully for USC fans, they're both still in the fold and committed, and we can see where this competition goes. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, you have multiple quarterbacks chomping at the bit to sign on the dotted line come December for SC. And um, like you said, SC has to get two quarterbacks, yeah. or, unless they're doing a transfer route uh, simply because of bodies. And I think those two guys would be uh, would be great choices at this stage in the game. Yeah, and you know, I'm still hoping to cross paths with Jake and have a good conversation about this. So I definitely don't want to speak on behalf of his mindset because I haven't talked to him, and so I really can't. But I would be surprised if he was like shocked that Miller Moss committed 
because there's no scenario in which they weren't getting two quarterbacks this class. I mean, whether or not it was a guy of, of Moss's caliber, uh, there was still going to be somebody else coming in, or they were going to have to go aggressive in the transfer market and try and find somebody. And that might be an even worse situation for Jake Garcia if they don't land two impact recruits and the depth is still a major issue and they have to really go and sell a transfer guy saying, look, you have a chance to come in and, and play here. That might be an even bigger obstacle if you're Jake Garcia looking at what you're facing. So I don't think the outcome was any surprise or should have been any surprise to him because it's what had to happen one way or the other. Okay, transitioning. Let's just wrap up with some present day stuff. We're we're still in a unfolding situation here. Like I said, USC brought back a bunch of players last week for voluntary workouts. No one's staying on campus yet. Phase two starts in a handful of days with the out-of-state guys, and they will get to stay on campus. Max, obviously you were a non-local guy coming from Washington. If you were playing right now, would you have any apprehension about coming back to campus and being tested every week and going through these strict uh, protocols that are in place with the ongoing pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I definitely there definitely would be an ounce of hesitation. But I think if a lot of guys are probably similar to me at 18, 19, 20 years old, and you kind of just trust the leadership, right? You, you trust your head coach's decision. You trust your head the head trainer's decision, and you trust that they're going to put you in the in the right positions. And so I'm sure for a lot of those guys, it's all right, tell me where I need to be, what I need to do, where I need to show up, and, and kind of let's get on with it. And so I, I think there certainly would be uh, hesitations, but a lot of those guys, I mean – they're, they're college football players. They're trying to get back and they're trying to train. They're trying to play football. I'm sure a lot of those guys are chomping at the bit. So uh, for a lot of those guys, it's, it's nice to be back. But there are, I mean, bigger, I mean, health is obviously the number one priority. So we, I'm sure it's on the mind for many, but I'm also sure that uh, a lot of the guys are just college kids that want to get back to uh, to playing ball. So there's kind of there's kind of both sides to that. Yeah, it's, it's a thing where I have to be careful not to extrapolate too much. A lot of the guys that I've talked to this offseason were just itching to get back. And a lot of them were already working out in groups on their own. So it's not like the thought of coming back and being around people is a hurdle for them to get over. They were already doing that off on their own, staying in shape. And you know that wasn't, yep. that wasn't USC's direction. They were kind of left to their own devices, and that's what a lot of the guys chose to do. That said, I don't want to assume that everyone is as – easy and confident about the situation obviously we've seen some stuff come out uh at ucla and uh some concerns of the players there about how everything was becoming managed and, and their safety there's been some pushback around the country about schools asking players to sign waivers to come back so i, I don't think that everyone is of the same mindset of yeah uh, great let's get back and dive in and, and everything's normal i think there is some apprehension that we have to at least account for whatever percentage that is among the roster, I'm sure there are a few people are looking at it differently than the rest. Without a doubt. And I think that's in, in college football as well as just life, right? I mean, the, the people that we come across in our daily lives, it, it strikes different people in different respects. I think the number one thing is we have to, uh, we have to honor those different opinions and know that it's going to net out with, with everyone in, in a different respect. And I think that's obviously going to come to a head here. You mentioned early August when guys are having to get back to, to training camp and then even more so when the season rolls around of, all right, are those are the concerned voices strong enough to 
halt the college football season, and that's obviously the the things that are uh, that that we're debating now, and college football fans are debating now, and there's obviously so much money involved that the money voice is is certainly very loud and powerful, very loud. But uh, but in the coming months, will the uh, the concern voice outweigh it? Will obviously be the uh, the biggest question. Well, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how these testing results continue to go. Obviously, some programs have had uh, really eye-popping numbers of positive tests. And not only do you look at that in the scope of does this prove an obstacle to starting the season, but what does it mean during the season? If this is going to be consistent where we can't just totally eradicate or contain this, and one week uh, a team has... 13 guys who have to quarantine and not play for, for two games. I mean, this this whole season is going to be very unusual and wacky, assuming we still, we have one, which is the plan now. I, I just wouldn't make any assumptions or predictions, or I, I don't know what to expect is what I'm saying. Max, do you have any confidence in, in what's going to transpire in a month, two months, the rest of the fall? Uh, I do not have confidence in, in a certain stance, but here's what I'll say. I think – the mindset for a lot of these college football programs has to be let's stay ready like in the event that something does happen and that's obviously a very obvious statement but here's where where I'm kind of coming from that in that the NBA here a month from now they're 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 going to be the first to the party right they're going to be the first people and I know PGA is coming back and in uh, soccer and whatnot but it's it's different I, I think basketball is the closest comparison in terms of kind of uh, fans and proximity and intrigue and this sure people will push back and say soccer's uh, soccer similar but I think at least in our country um, how the NBA and the Orlando thing plays out like that'll be very interesting because uh, to me there's no way that there's no positive COVID-19 test and I know there's been like, I think 15 was the number for the NBA but I think the mindset right now is, all right, those 15 people are going to be self-isolated and then they'll ultimately come back to be able to play in games, as I'm sure the mindset. But to me, I think it's going to be very far, like, far-fetched to expect all uh, 15, 13 players on every team to be clear. And so when that first starter pops pops positive for a test like how does the NBA handle that and I think that's my point here is they will set the blueprint for I guess what is society like societal like acceptance of that issue you know and um, I think in large in in, in many respects uh, the NCA will just follow suit of the other professional leagues with how they deal with that um, because uh, this isn't going away 100%. We can do a lot of these things to 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 minimize the issue, but I think it's going to come down to a point of how does society handle the fact that there could be a positive case and whatnot? Because to me, the the concept of Alabama having 15 or half a dozen starters out week one like that, I don't ever see there being a world where we continue playing football with that the case because there's always going to be an asterisk next to this season and that that to me is not real and so I guess I say all of that to say college football is on the back burner right now saying all right we'll stay ready we'll stay ready but we'll follow the leads of the NBA firsthand and I'm sure they're they're seeing what the NFL is going to do as well but at the end of the day like we've seen like we've said there's so much money involved they're going to do whatever they can to get a season but health is obviously priority one, and yeah, I mean, we'll see. But to answer your question, not a lot of confidence from on my end uh, in one way or another. 
yeah, the, the NBA and MLB will be the, the, the real litmus test. We've already had some players come out and either say, I, I tested positive, I'm not going to play, like DeAndre Jordan did with the Nets. And a couple of baseball players, Ryan Zimmerman, Ian Desmond, a couple others who have just said, I'm going to opt out this season and, and not and not come back. I have, I have young kids. I have a family. Uh, it's not worth the risk to me. And, you know, that option is there for college players too. USC made it clear that there would be no punitive action taken against financial aid and scholarships for guys that don't feel comfortable coming back. But I, I just I just don't know that we can have any sense right now for what the situation is going to be two months from now. And especially, like you said, after the NBA comes back and if that doesn't go smoothly, how does the rest of the sports world react? I think we're a long ways from knowing – if and what kind of season we're going to have. Anyways, great stuff, Max. We could have gone a lot longer, but I do have this really long and interesting interview with Sean Snyder I want to get to on the podcast next, and we will definitely get Max back on the podcast soon to start talking more USC football with the expectation that we will have a season to preview. So good stuff as always, buddy. It was awesome. Thanks, Ryan. All right. You asked for him. We got him. New USC special teams coordinator, Sean Snyder, joins the podcast. Been very excited for this interview all week. Sean, thanks for doing this, and how are you doing? Uh, Ryan, I appreciate you uh, calling and putting me on and uh, doing great. I've really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed L.A. And, and kind of getting settled in. I'm, I'm ready to get back in the office um, and get around the guys and, and get going. Well, I, I mentioned this is by request, and, and it is. We had uh, – Offensive line coach Tim Drevno on the podcast last week, and I think we all, myself included, learned a lot more about Tim through that interview. And immediately in the comments section on our board, I had multiple subscribers say, "Hey, can you get Sean Snyder on?" And I thought that's a great idea. And and the more I've thought about this interview, there's so much I want to cover with you. So we'll just kind of work through it all. I, we'll start in present day though. And did you get much of a chance to even settle into the program before the shutdown happened? I, I know you went back to. Nebraska for a little bit where your son was and uh, did you get any any chance to settle into LA or to the program uh you know started to one of the one of the first things uh, I did when I got here which was February 12th um right out the get-go just try to get around the players and get to get to meet them and know them uh and get a good feel for uh for who they were and, and hopefully you let them get a good feel for who I am and you know so we got started got that started pretty good um went through some of the winter workouts got a chance to see the guys run around and, and get a feel for their their abilities and then uh obviously we had a couple meetings jumped into one practice got called out to uh, uh go get in quarantine and and uh, so I, i'd say we got in, into it a little bit not as far as i would like to be um We've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings with special teams as well. And so, you know, that's been helpful. Um, I get in a lot of the other uh, meetings as well, too, with the linebackers and the safeties, corners. Okay. Um, and so I kind of jump into those meetings and, and get a chance to just try to, again, get more and more in-depth with uh, the personalities and the guys and just in general. Well, this is an obvious one. And you kind of touched on it when we met with you before spring practice uh, and when they brought all the assistant coaches out. L.A. is very different than Manhattan, Kansas. What's been the, the lifestyle adjustment, getting out there, finding a place to live, and adapting to maybe a different pace? Uh, you know, it actually hasn't been as uh, uh, 
strainful, I guess, as, as uh, everybody kind of made it sound um, coming from the Midwest. Uh, it's actually been been pretty easy. I, you know, the we we got a decent place to to rent, and we're you know I love the water. I've always loved the beaches and everything else. So that part's been uh, been a bonus. The uh, you know transportation and work hasn't been uh, too bad. I hop on the 110 and take it straight in, and uh, haven't had any conflicts with that. So that's been pretty smooth. And you know my wife loves it out here. She's you know enjoying the sun and the weather and. And so, you know, the, we are a long ways away from our kids. And if there's any uh, negative to anything, that would be it. Uh, but they come out, and my daughter's been out here already to see us a couple times. And uh, my son, when he gets breaking his job, he just transitioned jobs. He'll be out here to spend time with us as well. So um, I got a feeling things will work out pretty good. Well, very good. Well, you were really one of the, the notable additions this offseason because, you know, I, I don't want to critique the previous staff here with you, but fans were very frustrated with the special team situation i think it's a big area of potential improvement and so there's a lot of excitement for you coming in with, with your depth of experience how do you even approach this do, is there any value for you going back to watch tape from last year or do you just come in and say this is how we do things and let's get started yes yeah, so i've kind of got a, a, a two-side view of that number one you know i have gone back and and looked at um what the guys did last year, not not as far as, you know, scheme or anything like that. I, I went back to watch what their athletic ability was and how they how they did things on the field and uh, and and to see how um, how effective they were as as a player, individual player, just like I've watched some defense and I've watched some offense of guys as well. And uh, so fast forward into what I what I went to was trying to get a, a fresh start as well and so when i looked at the film in the past and again i've got a lot of players in a lot of different positions to be honest with you i didn't really pay real close attention or write down at every position that they played at um because i did want i did want there to be a a fresh start for them as well and for some guys that uh uh, to fit in places that i think will will be good for the things that i'm asking them to do uh and so that's kind of the you know to to answer that question it's kind of a, a two-way street that I've, I've done with it there but yeah it, it's it's has very uh everything that that i'm trying to do and and trying to get going it is more towards the fresh start of things and uh and giving them obviously fresh perspective of what we're uh, what we're trying to do that makes sense for those listening who don't know your full background uh you were at k-state for 26 years obviously your father bill snyder is the legend uh in that program the architect of that program and you were the special teams coach from 2011 to 18, two-time national special teams coordinator of the year uh, per Phil Steele. At the end of the season, what are the metrics that you use to judge whether you had a good year or not? Are, are there a couple stats that just are most important to you that you really hone in on and say, this determined how things went this season? Um, my biggest avenue as far as grading out how we do, I don't. I try not to get real involved with the stats. I mean, obviously, I pay attention to them and kind of see where we place that. But you know, what I look at is how efficient we are. Um, are, are we doing things efficiently? Are we are we uh, uh, creating production for the program for the team? Um, are we getting ourselves in a good position to be successful on offense? Are we doing a good job? You know, as far as field position and. Uh, not making mistakes and, and being accountable for what we're doing. You know, those are the things that I really look at. We've had, you know, I've had some years where 
the statistical numbers weren't that great, but the production was really good. And, you know, for uh, an example, you know, a couple of years ago, um, our punt return unit wasn't, we weren't high in the country as far as return yard average, but we did a really good job, I felt, as far as pressuring the punters and, and forcing bad punts, and we wound up with four blocks. And, and so we did some things differently with the personnel that we had um, to try to gain a positive uh, out of out of that unit, and that's the thing I kind of look at is is at each unit um, with the players that you have and the and the abilities that you have um, is going to kind of set the tone of what you what you really want uh, to achieve. And again, sometimes it's not a statistical number that is the uh, is the answer. It it may be just the production overall production you get out of that unit. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Sure. Uh, I want to get into some of the guys you're inheriting and also. I think you're just your career tracks very interesting, but but let's just again back it up to the the present day and the decision to come to USC. When we talked to you before spring practice, you mentioned that you had kind of sent Clay Helton the text just to kind of feel things out. There was also a great story in the Manhattan Kansas paper talking to your father about how aggressively Coach Helton then kind of recruited you and and was talking to your dad, was talking to you, and was really trying to make this happen. Can you take us inside that process and what those conversations were like and, and how wanted you felt by this program? Oh, absolutely. We we, we initially started off, and uh, I had sent him a text. <clears throat> I have a, a mutual friend um, in the coaching profession. I, I got his number, shot him a text, and just let him know I'd be interested in the, uh, in the job. And he responded back right away, and, and uh, you know, he was in the process of hiring Coach, Coach Orlando. And so, you know, he just said, kind of hang tight for, for a minute and, and um, working on the defensive coordinator, and then I'll, I'll get back to you. So as time kind of went on, we messaged back and forth a little bit here and there. <clears throat> and then we got uh, – we did get to the point where he got uh, Coach Orlando hired. And at that point in time, we got on the phone and had some conversations. Uh, and eventually it led to me coming out here uh, to kind of checking everything out. And – Probably the most unbelievable part of the process was the time that Coach Helton spent with my wife and I uh, when we were out here. It was just before signing day. He picked us up at the airport. He took us around, showed us things. We had uh, dinner with he and his wife that night, picked us up in the morning. Uh, we went, toured the campus, and uh, toured around town a little bit, uh, answered every question that my wife and I had. We had dinner with his, uh, his wife and, and him again, and then uh, next morning, uh, he picked us up at 6 a.m., took us to the airport, and dropped us off. And the uh, the time that he spent with us, uh, which was basically the entire time we were here, uh, I just I've never heard or seen a coach doing that and not you know dropping us off with somebody else to to tour us around and do stuff like that. And and it just he's just such a genuine good person and a good ball coach um, that the fit was really good. The fit that I was looking for uh, with the family environment, family being important, a strong faith-based program, um, you know, all the things that uh, that, I, that I was used to um, kind of fit here. The, the only thing is there's 11 million people here and there's 55,000 back in Manhattan. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's been reported that you also, you had interest from Nebraska. I think Texas was involved. What was the overall process for you in determining, okay, these are the options on the table or these are things that are at least in play and here's my game plan for approaching all this. Yeah, I, 
you know, I was looking, I was looking for a fit place where I felt like I would, I would fit in well. Um, I think I would have fit in really well at Nebraska. Uh, that was not going to be an on the field position. And so, um, being on the field position is what obviously I was, I was shooting for. Um, University of Texas um, was a on the field position. I went down there and had a good interview with Coach Herman, and I felt like uh, there was some, some opportunity there. They went with Jay Bowler, um, who uh, played there and uh, could understand kind of where that was going. And all this kind of happened like within 24 hours. I mean, it was yeah. just boom, 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 and it was real quick. And so, uh, and and this one when when I met with Coach Elton, I mean, he had done his research. He he'd looked into uh, me uh, and things that I had done at K State or been involved with the K State, and uh, and again, you know, personality wise, I think the for me it was a good fit for this program. What was the thought process you had to go through before you even sent that text to him to get in the mindset that this is a place I really want to consider? Uh, how did you first become aware that there was an opening, and how did you decide that it was really worth your time to pursue? Uh, well, the, the close friend of mine um, knew uh, or was paying real close attention to kind of what was going on. He, he initially told me that there was, uh, uh, it sounded like there was a possibility there was going to be an opening here. Uh, and then so I just started paying attention to it. And then obviously when the announcement was made, that's when I uh, had messaged out um, to Coach Helton. And so, um, you know, at the time, um, I was looking for opportunities everywhere. And, um, and so when I when the this opportunity, the Texas opportunity, the Nebraska opportunity, and you know some other opportunities were floating around that I was trying to get my name in on as well, uh, this one this one just turned out to be um, you know everything aligned up for it, and, and it just it just worked out. Yeah, it's clearly a great fit based on what you were looking for, and, and based on what USC was looking for. I don't know how many special teams gurus, for lack of a better word, there are in the country, but I think you definitely fit that mold, and that's what they were they were seeking. I know you, you probably talked to your dad a bunch during that process. I'm interested in what his feedback was, but also, he was a GA here way back in 1966. Did he have any stories from, from that time way back when? Uh, no, not too many stories. Most of, uh, most of the stuff we talked about, um, and which we did, we talked pretty much daily about all this as the process was going on. And, uh, and, you know, it was important for me um, to, to be somewhere on my own two feet and not, not be somewhere, um, you know, where, where my father was involved and getting me hired on somewhere. So, sure. you know, that, that process was, was good. And, of course, everybody in the profession, you always lean on other people for help, um, you know, getting into places, getting your name in somewhere. Um, but the, the, the process that, that he and I had, I mean, it was I just kind of bounced things off of him. Uh, as far as what opportunities were there and, and then the fit, you know, and, and his, his, you know, big picture perspective of things, uh, he not once ever, you know, directed me in one direction or the other. Um, and he and I both went into this knowing that, you know, it's as much as it'd be great to stay somewhere close by, um, you know, or maybe in the big 12 or, or whatever, you know, I mean, to me, it was, it was more of, of let's open up the box and, and let's, let's, get out of my comfort zone let's go somewhere where where i I can thrive in a different environment and uh and be productive somewhere else and so that's been this this opportunity really opened those doors for me um as far as being able to to do that and so you know i'm grateful for it um for the opportunity to be here and i really think that you know as we we went through that long process uh with dad and i um 
the good thing about that was we 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 covered more conversation uh, about things other than football that we haven't done for a long time because everything was business day and business day at night. So uh, it was, that was a good time, good experience uh, as well. Now, the, the other thing about him being out here uh, as a GA, and because one of the things we did talk about, which was probably wasn't as much football we talked about, uh, you know, I was born out here in Anaheim as he, when he was a high school coach. Uh, we lived over in Mission Viejo. And, uh, so we kind of, you know, he shared a lot of stories with me about, you know, the house we lived in, it had a swimming pool and, uh, you know, just some stuff like that. So it's, it's been good. We've, we've been able to catch up on a lot of stuff. That's great. And I, I used the word architect before in describing him, and I, I think most college football fans have a keen grasp on it, but that Kansas State program was, was really at the bottom of the F- FBS when your dad took over in 89. And to get it to the heights he did, a, a national contender, it, it was just one of the great stories in college football. And I'm, I'm sure you're asked about him all the time, so I don't want to belabor it too much. But obviously, I, I can't I can't uh, leave it alone entirely. All the time you spent around him in that program, working under him, are there some universal themes that, that, that you think apply even in what you're doing here at USC? And have you and Coach Helton talked about your dad? And has, has he asked you for any any perspective on, on things he did uh, at K State? Well, we've yeah we've had some conversation about uh, kind of odds and ends things. Um, you know, the two programs are, are quite a bit different, right. um, the, but the similarities and the things that to me are the carryover um, is is the environment with the players. Um, you know, we 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 thrived on having a family type environment at K-State and uh, having having strong unity with the coaches and the staff and the players um, and I think that's the same thing that's going on here um, you know I, I can't speak of the past but I, right now I mean, it's it's as strong as as I've been around and, and it's you know the players are uh, are very attentive um, you know and they want to win I mean they want to be productive and they want to they want to play and and, uh, and do well and so you know the that environment with the coaches and the caring of the players, and especially in our, you know, starts with Coach Helton, because um, he he genuinely and passionately cares about the players that are in this program, and and that's one thing that to me has been a similar uh, trait between the two programs. Um, you know, the the accountability uh, with the players, and then also too the ability for coaches to teach players things off the field, life lessons. Um, and guidance and, and being there for them when, when things are tough in their life that, that doesn't pertain to stuff on the football field. And I think that's a, a carryover as well that, that's a, a really strong uh, value to a program. You know, and I think, honestly, some programs kind of get away from that a little bit. And uh, uh, and then, then those off-the-field problems become on-the-field problems. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's there's a carryover there. So, you know, I think right now, with where things are with the program and and the comparisons between K State here, you know, I think those are the those are the things that kind of to carry through. And you know, and Coach and I have had a few conversations about stuff here and there. And again, you know, I'm the things that I have talked to him about, you know, have been mostly stuff of off the field kind of stuff. You know, I once we get through some practices and some games and some stuff like that there i mean i'm sure there's going to be some other things i i may you know throw out a suggestion here and there or or he may ask me about but um you know until there's more time on the ground uh you know it's it's just a matter of you know getting my feet feet on the ground and, and getting all the special team stuff going 
for sure. And, and this is an extension of that question, but but is there one trait you've adopted personally that, that you can really link to your father and, and, and being around him for so long and seeing what worked and, and what he did so well? Well, I, you know, I, I think the uh, probably the one thing that I've, I've really, over the past several years, tried to try to do a good job with, and that's kind of teaching leadership. Uh, with players, I, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that's that's uh, hard to come by sometimes these days. You know, because there's a lot of kids that want to lead by example. A lot of players are are not as vocal as they used to be, uh, and and that's one of the things that that I think I I try to try to do a good job with. I do it within my special teams meetings. Um, you know, we'll we'll have uh, a leader on each unit. And we'll do some things like that, and some accountability things that uh, that the players can, you know, hold each other accountable, and, and myself as well. Um, you know, that we kind of put into play. And uh, once we get all that stuff really going, you know, and again, it's it's a matter of getting in front of them and, and being around them, and having guys sitting in my office and you know talking about, uh, you know, how we're how we're going to make things better on the field and how we're going to make things better in the meeting rooms, and uh, you know, so th- that's probably one trait that uh, uh, that I that I try real hard to to carry over. Well, I mentioned that I am really fascinated in your career arc. You were an All-American punter at Kansas State, and then you kind of work up the athletic department. You're the director of football ops. You're an assistant AD, associate AD, senior associate AD, and it's really in 2011 that you jump into the special teams coordinator role. How, how did that all play out, and, and what was the master plan from the beginning? Well, when I when I first got back in and uh, started in the operations side of things, uh, I was kind of tracking a little bit more towards an AD position initially. Um, over the course of time, I had an opportunity, I believe it was right around 2004, uh, 2004 2005, I had an opportunity to get on the field, uh, coach tight ends. And, and at the time, it just wasn't the right fit for the program. Uh, we had another guy that would, was a better better fit at the time, and uh, so I kind of just backed out of that. But then that's when I started kind of getting the bug to coach mm-hmm. um, a little bit more. And then so uh, fast forward in 2011, um, came around, and uh, that was right after they were able to get, uh, well, special teams coordinators were starting to become a thing. And uh, so that's when I went on the field as special teams coordinator, and, uh, you know, and then since then, I've, I've handled kind of a lot of a lot of roles with the operation side of things. Still oversaw that, um, and then the uh, and then special teams coordinator. And so, and here we are. Yeah, you, you took to it pretty quickly, though. And I, mean, I mentioned you were a punter in college, but being a special teams coordinator involves every facet of, of that part of the game. At what point, and, and how did you get? a point of command and confidence that you knew what you were doing and you knew how to impact every unit in that special teams group? Uh, you know, being, obviously we'll rewind back to, to when I punted. Um, one of the things uh, when I did when I was, when I was a punter is, is I still paid attention to everything that was going on, what we were doing on the punt team, the punt return unit, kickoff, kickoff return. So I kind of carried that through and uh, and always paid attention to and sat in meetings uh, throughout the my operations years as well. Didn't conduct anything. We had coaches at each posi- at, at each unit that were doing the, the coaching and those things. I just kind of there listening and paying attention and, and trying to learn. Um, and then uh, we did have a, uh, a guy there that was when uh, Coach Prince was there, uh, Jeff Rogers. He's with the Cardinals right now. Jeff was kind of actually turned out to be 
a little bit more my mentor um, as far as the special teams goes. Yeah. Once once he got there, um, I really was paying a lot of attention to what he was doing and his systems and and the uh, production that he had. And so one, you know, we he wound up leaving. I wound up taking over that position as special teams coordinator. Uh, and Jeff and I have stayed in contact over the years. We talk every so often uh, about different things and kind of uh, little strategy stuff here and there. But he is, uh, you know, like I said, he, he kind of was the, the guy that got me, mentored me into it. Uh, and so with the players, the one good thing uh, in the operation side of things, I was used to being talking to the whole team. I was used to, uh, you know, if they're dealing with problems and dealing with the good things, you know, both ways. And so when I became special teams coordinator, that just added another layer of my involvement with all the players. And that's, you know, one thing at that position, special teams coordinator, I mean, you're dealing with every single position with the exception of pretty much offensive linemen and yeah. uh, quarterbacks. And so that uh, uh, being able to understand and and for me I, I really try to understand how the guys like to how they how they best respond to coaching or what type of coaching and so that's one of the reasons why I sit in a lot of the meetings and pay attention to what the other coaches are doing and how they coach them because I want to get a good feel for each player um, some guys are, are really good at uh, you know you can you can jump down their throat and they respond really well and other guys you got you got to talk to them and you never get personal with with any any of the players, but you you do got to make a point. Um, and it's it's how does that point come across to them, and what's the best way that they receive that that point? And so that is what what I think was one of the things at K State uh, that helped me be productive with our special teams units. There was because um, the players were, I mean, there was not any dissension. They would go, they wanted to go play, and they wanted to do well, and. You know, and that's the same thing I'm trying to emulate here. Is I, I want, uh, I want the players to, I want to have great respect for them. I want them to have respect for me, and and we're able to go out there and fight, and just for the whole team, offensively and defensively, that everybody's out there fighting for one cause. Yeah. I want to get into the USC special teams in one second. Let me just tie a bow on the, the Kansas State stuff in the background. Again, you were there a long time. I, I think tw- it's 26 years you were there in, in different capacities. You mentioned you wanted to be back in an on-field role. You were in, off, in an off-field role last season with new coach Chris Kleiman. But even still, how hard was it to leave that program? I know there was a lot of talk for a time that your father wanted you to maybe succeed him as the head coach there. Just these last few years, have you kind of put it in perspective and how tough was it to formally separate from this place that was such a part of your identity for so long? Uh, you know, it... it Obviously, the you know there's a lot of lot of emotional tie that I have with K State and I always will. Um, but it was it was time, and it, you know, and, and when Dad, Dad retired the first time uh, and wound up coming back, I was just about uh, to to get out and uh, and leave. Then he wound up coming back in, so I stuck around, and you know, I was going to stay there until he retired, until he finished up, and, and then at that point in time, and I'd made the decision long before that when he retired uh, the second time that I was I was going to uh, move on and so uh, the ter- the timeline of the way things happened there at K-State uh, when Coach Kleiman took over it just it kind of got into a, a period of time where there weren't any any jobs or anything to go hunt for gotcha. uh, so so I kind of helped I, I stayed there and did whatever I was asked to do, try to help uh, with the transition 
Uh, and then once we got through the season and the job started opening up, then that's obviously I was able to get my name out there and uh, try to start moving on. Well, let's fast forward to USC. And well, I, I say fast forward, but I, I do have to ask you: How did you find punting as your as your calling as a college athlete? What was kind of the the uh, the eureka moment where you said this is going to be my path to to be an impact contributor in college? Uh, funny story. We we moved from uh, I, I grew up in, in down in Texas. We moved from Denton, Texas, to Greenville. When I got over to Greenville, I'd never played tackle football and so that was kind of my startup as a freshman is uh getting into football and so i was wound up i was a defensive end and a tight end uh were the two positions i was playing and one day their coach there called up and and put the kickers and punters over on another field and said is there anybody else that thinks they can kick or punt go over there and and i played soccer uh through all my younger years and so I went over and started kicking the ball around a little bit, and next thing I knew, I was uh, starting uh, as punter and kicker on the freshman team, and uh, and that's kind of where it started. And when I uh, uh, got done playing, I, I I kicked, punted, and did the kickoffs. Played corner uh, for part of my senior year, and then uh, went to uh, University of Iowa. And base uh, Jeff Skillet was a kicker there. And at the time, they were uh, Marv Cook was a punter. They also played tight end, and and he was a senior. And so the the, the window or the the opportunity to get on the field as a punter sooner was really there. And that was a year or two that they took away the tee and went from the tee to the ground. Mm-hmm. And I was actually having a little bit of a a transitional problem um, getting down to the ground. So I just wasn't getting elevation on the ball very well. And it was a real short window uh, when I got there. So you know, the punting kind of took off and I wound up starting at Iowa that next year and, and got fired as well. And, uh, and then I wound up transferring down. This was, um, that was in his first year at K-State and I stayed at Iowa and then I, I transferred down to K-State and walked on and then sat out for in 90, uh, 1990, sat out in the 91, 92, uh, won the job and, and uh, took over from there and, and things just they just went well um in my younger years when dad was at the university of iowa uh, reggie roby was a punter there and yeah. reggie was the one i kind of he used to i molded my punting after i i would i'd go out there and catch balls for him and and work out with him a little bit and, and reggie just kind of took me under his wing and uh I, and that's that's kind of what i where i learned to punt and uh and it's you know i learned learned a lot of Learned a lot of stuff from Reggie, actually, just technique-wise and stuff that I've that I've carried over the years, um, and that I, you know, a lot of stuff uh, blends in with what I coach uh, kickers and punters and snappers now with. Reggie Ruby had a long NFL career. That's the name that most most fans, I think, recognize. Well, that's the segue I wanted to get into the USC stuff because USC has a very interesting, very intriguing punter and in Ben Griffiths, who was a. As fans know, a professional Australian football player uh, before coming over here and. Uh, wanted to go to school in the United States and and try punting, and there was a lot of hype for him last year. I, I was I was one of the driving forces in that hype because I, I would watch him on the practice field and just hear the way that ball boomed off his foot. And I don't think it totally carried over into the season. I know fans expected a little bit more. He averaged forty one point two yards a punt, but to have you come in, someone who's who's been at the top of the game as a college punter, how much can you help him? with your experience and how are you kind of uniquely suited to maybe bring out the best in Ben Griffiths? 
Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things about Ben is, is Ben is a very uh, eager and coachable player. He is, uh, his desire to be good, and to be honest with you, I'm in a blessed room because all the, all the kickers, players, and snappers all want to be really good. So um, they're very attentive and detailed in what they do. The thing with Ben, which I, I hope I can transition over to with all of them, um, you know, they being able to, uh, you know, and there's a few things that we're working on and kind of cleaning up that we worked on this this out of season, and then hopefully once we get face to face, we can we can kind of uh, continue to work on those things. But as a punter or a kicker, uh, you there's phases you'll go through to where you you'll get into uh, just kind of a weird funk and not you know you just dropping the ball a little off or you know overstriding on a step just a little bit too much, but you're not really figuring that out. And then it takes a little bit to work through those things. And that's the thing I think I hope that I can expedite the process with these guys on, uh, and, you know, and Ben, as we're talking about, is, is being able to, okay, hey, we, we get back to this, you know, shorten that step up here, uh, take care of that drop a little bit better here, uh, pay attention to where your eyes are. There's, there's some things that, that I really work with um, the guys on, you know, and that's, that's where their balance is. Um, I, I just a firm believer if you got good balance, you got good power. Uh, but that also leads into consistency um, with what they're, you know, especially punting the ball and being very efficient in, in the motion and the movements. And so those are the things that, that uh, you know, that I'll work with Ben on an awful lot. Uh, but I do think, you know, I think when when any punter, I mean, I was the same, I, we're all the same, I think all punters are the same. You, you get going in a good groove and things are great and then you start to get a little lax on, on your technique and the next thing you know you get into those one of those weird weeks where you just can't get the ball off your foot right um, and that's why I'm hoping I can stop I can I can get that ex- process expedited where he gets back in the groove and just stays in it and uh, you know and, and the thing is we'll do uh, an awful lot uh, when we're on the field uh, you know the, just the psychological part of the game as well and, like, he's very well grounded and that's, that's the part uh, that I don't really have to do much with with him, and, and a guy that's that's been on the field for a year, you know, he's he's going to get better, um, and just the experience alone is going to get him uh, get him down the road quite a ways. So, uh, but that's that's kind of what I, I hope to be able to do is, is you know just clean up a few little things with him, and then and then just be able to keep him from getting going down the the, the side track to where you have a week or two where you just may be struggling. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm holding on to my Ben Griffith stock because, I, again, I saw it on the practice field last summer, and there was just a sound the way that ball came up his foot. I, I know it's there. So I, I, I told all the fans, watch out. This guy's going to be booming kicks all fall, and, and they they've uh, they don't trust me anymore on that, but I'm going to stick stick with my belief and hold on to that stock. Um, real quick, on, on, the, on the kicker position, you bring back Chase McGrath, but you bring in uh, Parker Lewis, who I, I think does both, punting and kicking, or, or did in high school. What do you see from him in the future? Uh, you know, Par- Parker's another kid. He's got a tremendous leg. I mean, it uh, th- that ball really comes off his foot as well, too. Uh, you know, Parker's young, and, and obviously there's uh, there's a process he needs to go through to get himself into a position where he's ready to, to be on the field and, and going. Um, I think he's going to – I mean, I really got high hopes for him. I think things are going to go well. You know, Parker uh, – you know, we've had a lot of a lot of good conversations. I know his his work has has been uh, you know, he's been getting after it like all the guys have been. 
so I, you know, I, I see a bright future out of him. I mean, he's he's got uh, he's got some things to, to work on, like like we all do. But yeah, he he's he's another one with a tremendous leg. So with all these guys uh, that you're inheriting that already have a bunch of eligibility left, do you even have any recruiting responsibilities right now, or are you looking two years down the road? How do you approach that? Uh, no, we are. We'll, we'll, uh, I'll always uh, be looking at punters, kickers, and snappers. Uh, and then also, too, you know, I, I get involved also, too, with the other recruiting that we have going on, um, not directly at, a, at positions, but just kind of globally um, helping out there as well. Uh, but, yeah, I'll always, the, as far as, that, that position with punter, kicker, snappers, I'll always try to uh, stay on top of that. And then I will be more involved um, uh, as, as we go here with, with return guys, too, is, you know, because that's one of the things that, that I always try to look at at K-State, too, is making sure, you know, if we're looking at two or three receivers or corners um, and, and one of them's a standout return guy, uh, you know, I'm gonna put my hand in the air and say, "Hey, right. this guy's got a this guy's got a deal breaker. Let's, uh, you know, if he can fit in at wide receiver or running back or uh, corner or safety or wherever, uh, and and get what you need there. Um, and he and he's a good return guy. Let's, you know, let's look at this guy and and try to jump on that. So, um, I, you know, I've had some conversations with the other coaches about that uh, as as we go now, but that'll be something that. You know, once we get going and get rolling, we'll start uh, start paying attention to. Well, that brings to mind Gary Bryant, Jr., a freshman uh, for you this year, at, at least projects as a potential dynamic returner. Is he a guy you've looked at in that role already? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we had one day, so yeah, no. <laughs> didn't get a chance to do much there. He he is a very dynamic runner, and uh, and I think we're I think we're in uh, you know as far as the guys we got uh, opportunities to to put back down the field. I mean, Tyler Vaughn's done it. Amon Raw, um, Keenan Christian. You know, we got Chase Lock in the mix there as well, and and then with Gary coming in, I mean, it's there's going to be. I mean, there's some really good uh, players there. And some really good opportunity, you know. And again, being a young guy, for Gary uh, coming in, I mean, his his foot speed and his agility is, is dynamic. the The big thing will be is how how well he gets into catching the ball and and getting fit into the return game, uh, which he just hadn't had a chance to really see much of. I mean, yeah. outside of, of just film and stuff we've been doing, and and I've seen him, you know, obviously in one day catching the ball, all, you know, all the guys back there catching, and and there's there's some things that uh, that we'll I'll work with him on there a little bit that uh, uh, I think they need, and and we'll get uh, yeah we'll see how it plays out, but man, there it's a dynamic group of guys just a couple more for you here we'll wrap up really appreciate all your time i'm interested in the procedural aspect of organizing the special teams and how how much say or or input or request do you get in terms of who you get to work with on those units do you get to say i really want this guy on on uh, on punt coverage or, or is it kind of here's your pool of guys to work with maximize them uh, no, actually, it's it's, and that's another thing that was such a good fit um, at uh, K State. We had everybody, with the exception of quarterbacks, um, had access to, and and here it's the same thing. I mean, Coach Elton said, "Hey, here, you uh, anybody you need, you know, uh, put them in, fit them in, and and go from there." And, and you know, the fit for the players is is a really important thing for me because um, I, I want them to try to do things that uh, match up with their position. And so I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, the short period of time I have with them, I, I don't want to try to recreate stuff that they 
don't do on a day-to-day basis. So, so the matchup and having flexibility with with all the players is really really beneficial. Uh, you know, now the other thing is too is is I'm going to be smart about what we're doing. You know, as as far as starter and how many units you're putting a starter on. Um, you know, paying attention to you know making sure we have. Uh, good backups or good positions because there's there's so many things that can happen in the course of a game that you know if a guy's just you know dead tired uh, you can't to me you can't have have anybody taking a rep rep off on a special team because that's when you turn around and get uh, get beat yeah. and so so to me you know I'm going to try to get guys that I that I know got the endurance and the energy to carry it through an entire game and then I'm also uh, you know as far as the fit of where the guys are is, is paying attention. I mean, what what our style of offense is, what our style of defense is, and you know, is it fair to even ask a guy to do some of this stuff? You know, when you know, because there's enough guys on the team, and there's there's a lot of good players. Um, you know, so it's it's a matter of putting all the puzzle pieces together to, to where it fits the team the best, not necessarily just the special team, but the team as a whole. That makes sense. And you mentioned earlier wanting efficiency from those groups. Uh, this may be too hard of a question to, to answer in a succinct way, but I want to ask it. What's the biggest way you go about coaching against breakdowns and making sure that that you know that come Saturday all your guys know what they're doing, know how to read and react, and, and you're not going to have a, a, a breakdown in in the formation or, or in the what you're asking of them? Well, I, I guess probably to answer that the uh, best way I probably can is that a lot of the stuff that that I do is based um, probably more around fundamental technique than it is just sheer scheme stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I, there, I've got a lot of flexibility in everything I do, but um, the one thing that I just want to make sure that we are doing and we're doing it well is we're we're technique-wise and fundamentally we're we're doing what the assignment uh, is requested to do, just like on an offensive lineman and how they're going to uh, set their feet and protect and punch. Um, that's the thing to me on special teams that is, well, at least what I've experienced uh, in the past, is, is if you're good at that, good at the technique, good at the fundamental, um, and you're, you, do, you have to have decent schemes, but at the end of the day, you can win a lot of battles that way. And it's not, uh, it's a matter of staying with it. I mean, a lot of teams don't do fundamental work during the season. They do it in the out of season, do it during the summer. But when they get in season, everything's about scheme. Um, I've gone against teams that they have a different kickoff return scheme for every single game. Well, when you don't have a ton of time to coach them, it doesn't make much sense to do that because now you're asking them to do something different every weekend. And, and they get the, you know, they're busted assignments. They don't know where they're going. And then when you get halfway through the season or the end of the season, all that technique work they've worked on um, starts to disappear. And so, um, and then that's where you can kind of get an advantage uh, as well. So, you know, that's to me, it's, it's get the things in front of them that, that they can learn real quick, real easy as far as the scheme. And then let's just get really good at what we're doing. And, and if we're really good at what we're doing and we have to change scheme later, or we have to make adjustments during a game, keep it within the same footprint of what they do, and that way it's not it's not too complicated. They don't have to process too much stuff on the field. Yeah. Uh, in the return game, you, you had some dynamic returners at Kansas State. You had guys pile up some touchdowns. Is that the most satisfying moment for you in this position when you can scout or diagnose a weakness and execute it and have a guy break a touchdown? 
Uh, you know it is. I, I'm, and the I guess there's there's a couple. The return game, obviously, well, everybody loves return game because you can make such big plays and such dramatic changes in a game. Um, which on the flip side of that, with punt and kickoff, um, sometimes you're just sitting there, you know, biting your knuckles and hoping you know nothing breaks. But I've really, you know, with kickoff, I've really, you know, kickoff's probably one of my favorite uh, units. It has been one that, uh, you know, just as far as the sheer toughness and the, and the grit uh, of a football game, uh, to me, kind of comes down in, 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 in kickoff coverage. Um, oh, and, I, yeah. and I just really love it. I, I love seeing guys go down and, and be dominant and, and take control of a uh, take control of a kickoff return unit. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it, for me, it's that's a fun, fun unit. Uh, the return game, uh, again, that's those are the ones that, to me, they're game changing. You know, obviously, they they change the atmosphere. They change the attitude of the team. They change the attitude of the fans. Uh, when you can get one of those big, big return touchdowns or uh, block a punt, make you know just some big plays. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so those. Uh, the, those the, those big returns, yeah, they're they put you in a in a kind of put you up there in the clouds a little bit for a minute, and uh, and then you got to come back down and, and realize you got to go down and cover some stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's good. Good answer. Well, I, this is the final question. We've gone way over time, but I really appreciate your generosity with your time here. I think it's been an awesome insight. You mentioned before some of the similarities you see from your dad's program in terms of the, the family-oriented atmosphere. This is your, your first time really being in a different program in a long, long time, though. Did anything uh, strike you as, as surprising or, or different, That just a d- different way of doing things that, that really stood out to you? Um, you know, there's, I don't think there's anything that really, really stands out besides uh, recruiting. Um, you know, the, the recruiting is different. Um, just in the uh, in the in probably the overall numbers, you know, at Kansas State, you know, recruiting wise, you're you're recruiting a lot more players to get down to the number of, of uh, signees that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, and we're here. Um, you're not. I mean, you're you're recruiting elite players, and uh, not that we didn't at K State, but um, you know that that's a there you know it's just the overall numbers because the elite players get chewed up um you know now you got to start start getting those next players that uh can fit in the program you know and i think i think the the thing that's been similar in that is i think at k-state we did a a really good job over the years getting players that were uh fit kansas state and fit the program and were able to do the things that we were asking them to do in and out of the program and and i think that's the same thing here you know i think the coaches are doing a phenomenal job of of character and quality of young men that they're recruiting right now and so and and that's part that's you know there's a difference there, but there's a similarity there as well too. So, um, you know, that's that's probably about the biggest thing. The, the everything else, I mean, it's just different program and a few different uh, ways of doing it. Good stuff. Well, that was tremendous insight all the way through, Sean Snyder. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for joining the podcast. Oh, you bet. I, I enjoyed it, Ryan, and, and thank you very much for having me on. And that is our show. Thanks as always for listening to the Trojan Talk podcast and for helping grow the numbers each week and uh, drive more motivation to get great guests on this show. It's been really fun getting to sit down with some of the the staff and, and some players as well and just go really in-depth like we just did there with Sean Snyder. 
again, that was a recommendation from our subscribers on the message board. So we always welcome feedback and thoughts and suggestions and, and try and follow through and deliver on as many as possible. If you're not on the message board, on the Trojan Talk message board at trojansports.com, go ahead, give us a chance, sign up. We have one promo going right now where if you sign up for a new monthly subscription, you will get a promo code for a free T-shirt from BreakingT.com worth up to a $28 value. So that's a great deal where you pay a little bit less than $10 for a monthly subscription and you get a T-shirt up to $28 in value. So take advantage of that. Get on, join our conversation, and... Follow through to the lead up to fall camp as things remain on track for uh, hopefully a football season. With that, I'm Ryan Young, and thanks to Max Brown, my frequent co-host, for getting back in the mix with me. And much thanks to Sean Snyder for taking a ton of time to go really deep into a lot of topics. I really enjoyed that conversation. We'll come back with you hopefully in a week with another great guest to be determined. Thanks.